0: Hey, it's John Wilson again, this is another profound podcast I have um, a friend and I would say over the last year and a half my partner in crime and, uh, and, and and all this sort of automated governance and DevOps and DevSecOps. And so, uh, Bill, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, Bill Bensing. Uh Bill Bensing here from our work. John and I are working together at Red Hat.
0: Yeah, you yeah. know, so what's your what's your, um, you know, what do you do? What's your background?
1: Yeah, background is funny. So at Red Hat right now, what I do is uh I'm the managing architect for the Software Factory out of the North American public sector. So that's a lot of words itself, but I'm on the consulting side of the house, focused in uh, delivering consulting services specifically around uh, software delivery um, for the organization. Uh, my background's interesting because I'm not traditional computer science. Uh, I actually spent three years going through a mechanical engineering degree and just gave up at Diff Q and decided to go do business. Um, my my mentality back then is you know I could own I can own a bunch of engineers one day and make a lot of money instead of being one myself. And uh I think that sort of came full circle as I got into industry and uh, got got into software, been uh been writing software. I was a first language of PHP in MySQL since since I was in high school, built the first online I called it an online uh sign-up form for uh it was a computer class. So it was online registration and that was my senior year of high school, got into that and sort of been a bit of a just a bit of a just uh playing with uh Software and building software through college, and then as I got into industry, took it a bit more seriously, and uh, you know, got a big name from building some shadow IT organizations at a large uh, large aerospace company, and that's sort of what started my career to where I'm at today. It was really, uh, I guess, I will use your words, and we talked meat, meat and potatoes. You were talking the other day about meat and potatoes type folks, sort of meat and potatoes type uh, individual that just you know, built software to solve my own problems, my team's problems, and eventually um, figured out that it solves more than ours. And then I asked myself one day around 2014, 15 timeframe, like I should just probably go try to do this stuff myself and started down the entrepreneurial path. And I haven't looked back since then. So I've been in and out of industry since 2015, like two to three times. Um, so most of my professional life, half of it's been out of industry, half has been in industry. So it's been pretty interesting.
0: Very cool you know it's um you know you, you know you meet a lot in this industry you'll meet a lot of um a lot of electrical engineers but uh, people who literally sort of went right into software you know don't really sort of talk much about you know supply chain operations research right and then or you'll meet people who are sort of older times that louder in project management that were like almost you know my brother in law is like that he's you know he worked at like tyson and and he years of sort of uh, you know, running, you know, sort of supply chain with SAP and all that. And now he's sort of a DevOps guy, but it's, but it's, but he's not like, you know, he doesn't per se write code or, and I think what's interesting about your background to me is, you know, like I'm always fascinated with people that have those type of educations in operations research and, and, um, and, and, and supply chain and all. Um, but uh, you know, the conversation sort of dries up quick. And then when I met you, you know, you, you, I have this very technical, I mean, you write sort of, Heavyweight code, heavyweight implementations of software, and so um, so. Let me sort of publicly pick your brain about like, you know, what what have you learned from that world that has been very helpful in in our our software world.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I like to think because, you know, Johnny, as you pointed out, my formal background is supply chains and operations management. Uh, actually, my MBA was an emphasis on supply chain and operations management. And then I ended up going over and uh, doing a degree in Europe and focusing on international business. And actually my, my thesis was on uh, the bullwhip effect in, in the beer industry. Hmm. Um, and so it's uh, it, it's, everybody talks about software supply chain S bombs. Um, and it's interesting about how like the technology industry is, borrowing terms from other every other industry it's you know it's what 60 70 70 80 years old the computing science industry itself so it's it's fairly young in, in the scheme of things but it's it's to one um I, when i think about supply chain and i think about sort of what we're doing like especially the devops like i got into this because reading the goal i remember my first operations research class my mba was reading the goal and going through it and analyzing it so this and understanding you ever the heard about stream right before any of that, this was 2009. So um, I, I was a graduate of the of the of the uh, the recession, and so of course I get out and I've got a business management degree. And you can make more money bartending than you can do <laughs> going into getting a formal job at that time. So that's why I went and did my master's. But you know, as I was doing that, I was reading the goal and of going through this, and not until a couple of years later did I really mesh up what I learned in supply chain operations management with. What what's going on in technology? And I think what was it two thousand nine? That was actually around the time frame where I believe like you and the you and the community were building out like DevOps days, and like this whole concept of DevOps was starting to to take off. Um, but yeah, it's it's one on one. Like I, the biggest thing I came from because I came from that background was I realized as you're getting into software, and I remember like in two thousand eleven talking about how do you apply like these concepts of lean and theories of constraints to like back office. Um, and in, 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 in those things, like in, in softwares, I look at building software sometimes as back office. People may not think about it that way, but it's not as scientifically, it's not approached in a scientific way that maybe building like an aircraft is. In, right. certain, in certain areas. And maybe that's an overgeneralization of parts of the industry, not certain other people. But it's, it is, it is if you think about it, it's just an exchange of value at the end of the day. And like you think about get back to dimming and in, it, all it is is mapping the exchange of value and understanding where the value additions happen and then optimizing for that flow. And I think if you take some of those some of those just fundamental aspects and then start applying that to any type of human process, and then of course technology is just an implementation of human process, then you can support it through technology, whether you build that technology or augment it through things like automation um It really hit me as I was doing these these things and um and as I'll say was Boeing I was at an aircraft company, and you know I was a procurement agent I was buying stuff uh, buying plate uh things for planes and all our job was really manual and there's things that could have automated, especially like things around pricing analysis that were highly complex. Um, they had a lot of essential complexity to them. So I go back to like the mythical math, a lot of essential complexity. And so as you, as you're looking through this, like, okay, how do you then apply this now? We call it, repo, what we was we're robotic repo, remote, was it robotic process, automation, right. RPA is what right. the whole term is now. Yeah. RPA. Um, but yeah, getting back to the supply chain is like, how do you do the exchange of value? And like, then um, I started building these, these software, like shadow IT organizations actually built this piece of software that was a prescriptive and predictive analytics piece of software for, for that. And that was my first foray into sort of the IT realm. And like, it was really interesting breaking into the IT realm and like, almost to say you weren't wanted if you weren't in it, you weren't wanted. Um, and so that was a very interesting, like, and then, yeah. so that, and it's and asking your question, like, how you bring this like full circle. It's like, that's when I sort of got this bug. I'm like, okay, I want to help people build software at any time, but what I need to do is I need to understand how to really do this better, not better than the folks that, you know, aren't really open to me becoming part of their club. It's, and, and then that was, that may have been a small cultural thing where I was at, at that point in time, but like they actually had a, they had a, some folks had a good point. It's like, how do you take, and I, and I think this is like the it business alignment. How do you take, you know, somebody who's like hands-on as close to the customer the problem as possible and get them to contribute their knowledge towards something like a, a, a like with well, a piece of software or whatnot, but do it in a way that's effective for the organization that's, that, that reduces risk. And I think, and then going back to your supply chain, like that's the whole fundamental aspect of supply chain is stitching value together in a way that manages and mitigates um, non-systematic risk. Um, so I'll stop right there. Cause that was a yeah, lot of ways going no, no, through. That, and I think it's it,
0: good because I think it, it brings up two points that, You know, I think about one is, um, I think you said it really good, like the IT club, you know, so your perspective is they wouldn't let you in. And and, in a pre DevOps mindset, that was basically the way the world worked, right? Like, hey, no, 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 we do this, you know, and and so it was so... um, it was so non-software, so non-supply chain, right? The idea, like, why would you not work directly with the people, (laughs) you know, like let us go buy the product for you and we'll, we'll just give it to you. And, you know, don't, we don't want your input. So there's this sort of, you're right. There was this IT club mentality, you know, and that's sort of why shadow IT created. And we can, I don't really want to talk about that, but then I think the other, um, I think the other interesting thing was, you know, we had a great opportunity, you know, you know, so in hindsight, like, which, which is sort of impossible, but like, there would have been a great opportunity to sit back and say, like, why don't we think this as just another value supply chain? And we literally had to go through this sort of war of DevOps to get to a place where even when I was doing DevOps in the earliest days, I wasn't sitting there going, oh, you know, it's all based on lean principles. I mean, I didn't even know that. It wasn't until I started researching, sort of Deming, or got to meet Gene, and and then I realized. So I think, and and I like, I won't speak for the whole community, but at least the sort of the um, the mindshare that I was sort of evolving with I, in the early days. You didn't see a whole lot of discussions about, oh, DevOps is is an implementation of lean. Yeah, I mean, even Agile and DevOps were sort of having this early battle of like, no, 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 it's DevOps. No, 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 we're gonna do Agile. You know, I mean, today, like I think we're much, but I think those are two interesting points. And I I guess there's a third point, too, which sort of um, gets my goat, which is this idea that um, people make this binary decision that you can't map, you know, industrial economy ideas like supply chain to knowledge economy, because, you know, I guess in their mind is there's sort of this variation thing that it doesn't map. And and I won't say it completely maps 100 percent. In ears, but but I do think um, you know, you coming from a supply chain background and immediately not looking at sort of like we can't do this as opposed to like why aren't we doing that? So anyway, that was a mouthful for me, but good.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I you know you hit one thing there. You talk about like the early battles of like DevOps and Agile, and you, we talk about the the industry. Like it's it's hit me a couple times, and I'm gonna try to say it. I know we've we, I've, we've have talked about this a couple times historically, but. I don't know why people in technology don't look to the other industries. It's so it's so young. Why aren't we looking out and saying, okay, here's how the here's how the physical world operates? Because I'll get back to all technology is is an implementation of a human system. So why are we looking at how we manage human systems broadly through different domains? We could say
0: that DevOps sort of can open that, but I think we still sometimes lose. The, the, the broader, but yeah, go ahead. Definitely.
1: No, and no, your point. DevOps, I think DevOps, like the, that concept, that that was the first look that was like, as you're getting into it and trying to, I mean, you think about AWS and everybody trying to solve this scale technical problem. Like that was really the first look at this saying, okay, how do we, how do we look how other people have done it? And like, you know, you talk about SPO now people are looking at supply chain. And I think that's actually a risk when people are trying to, I don't want to say reinvent the supply chain. It's probably Mm -hmm. not the right word, but they're using terms like supply chain and SBOM without understanding how bill of materials possibly are used and or conflating it with quality management of hard goods, procurement, supplier management, um, and then what a true bill of material is and then different concepts and specifications. Like there's a whole little thing I want to write about one day. And start juxtaposing, like, you know, where's your specification? Like people talk about open source, like you go to an airplane, an aircraft, for example, it goes all the way down to the smallest specs and like even the bolts, like say an M3 bolt, has an SAE specification that you get multiple suppliers for. And as we talk about supply chain and things like that, it's like, where's the spec for some of our open source? Of course, it doesn't exist because it was an implementation first before design. But there's a lot of things as we talk through software supply chain that I want to say, I guess, cart before the horse may be the way to say it. But there's a lot of, I think, concepts missing and almost my challenge to the industry. And one thing I want to try to do is to say, all right, hold on a second. Let's not slow down, but let's look at and say, when you used build a material do you understand how build materials operate in a hard goods? So, and, and, you know, now you want us to talk about build processes and you want, you want to conflate build processes with build materials. Like, is that proper? Um, because yes, you go no. to a hard, yeah. So it's, that's where I'm, when No, I think and, you know, those,
0: me and you have talked about this. Like, I mean, I mean, we're both fans of the industry sort of getting interested, exciting, and, you know, I think even Linux Foundation now is saying that the war is over, S-bombs are, you know, but, but, but I think, you know, that's great. Like that, like let's, something is better than nothing. But to your point, you know, like you, you've talked about this before and educated, like the whole idea of specification, right? That plays right deep into operations management and Deming and, you know, sort of statistical process control. Like, in other words, like, I mean, like if we're just saying our, like, let's look at libraries and dependencies and look for, um, you know, and be able to quickly identify you know, if we were really going to be not a bunch of baby, you know, a very immature industry, we'd have like go no go tolerance. Like, I mean, again, like, I don't even know how to do all that, but like, don't just walk around and throw the word S-bomb and just say, oh, we've got this nailed. Right. Because it's exactly close to how you build an airplane
1: exactly like where's your your baseline you think about like designs and like people talk about design but like where's that spec and where's that reusable specification and who cares who provides that you can now get down into a a supplier quality and a a procurement realm around that and the the analogy of procurement and software but it's like who can provide this spec like you you should have five providers like go there's a lot of people that provide an m3 bolt and so to your point it's like how do you build that and maybe that's the next step because we start thinking about supply chain um, start thinking about adversaries that are going through and exploiting just specific implementations you know what if we were to take some of these popular concepts that this popular open source and just create a specification around it and then allow people to then the market to then provide competitive offerings to that specification because now you can then start to attest a quality uh, based upon that spec and as long as you know that specification meets this level of quality that you're willing to use you can now then go in and start to test the quality of the the suppliers i mean that's yeah i I go down like i'm done i'm and I'll start I'll start going down rabbit holes as we start. Yeah, no, talking no. About I mean that. again,
0: it, you know, I, I think it's sort of the the net net of it all is we don't emphasize operations management enough in software, right? Like that, like it's almost like like everybody should be. I mean, I, I'm not even gonna come close to professing that like you've got a master's in it. I like I I uh you know, I um spelunk the internet about it. Right. But the point being, I know enough about it now that like says that this is a discipline
1: that we're missing. You say this, like, what if I said, what if I were to make the assessment that just software engineering is a discipline that's missing? Like there is no discipline of software engineering. Because like, to your point, like a discipline, but yeah, the right, the operations management. Yeah. That's, that's what I've been thinking about lately, because like was it the first time software engineering a software engineer ever made appearances? like was it it was a nineteen sixty-two um speech and I forget her name, but um off the top of my head, but she was one of the first to mention or wrote about software engineering as a concept. Right. But like maybe that's what like when we talk about SBOM that maybe that's the point to push but, for is formal. But
0: not not to dump on an industry that's been very, very good to us, but um yeah. is that you know that I you know, I I don't really I think, you know, even I sort of joke every once in a while like when we hear the word computer scientists how non-scientific you know most of our industry behaves right like we don't you know we're, we're sort of terrible at the sort of scientific method I mean well yeah let, let's put it in perspective I think some of the large scale organizations now are get have been very good at you know the googles and the and the amazons of course right like uh, but in general you know most like it just uh, you know the, the my common joke is um, you know, if you think of uh, PDSA as sort of the the cookie cutter version of scientific method, you know we're really good in this industry. at Plan do, plan do, plan do, plan do, right? We kind of stink at study act, right? And uh, but um, yeah, you know, so I, I I think you know when we sort of say we're like software engineers, or sort of like we need to challenge people and say, okay, what do you mean by that? Do you mean that somebody writes Python code, or do you mean somebody that literally applies? you know, operations, research, and
1: management. I want to point out one thing there. This is the only industry you can call yourself an engineer and like legally get away with it. Because think about you have the professional engineering certifications. When you're going to like a municipality or whatnot, a lot of their engineers, they have a PE certification. They have an independent industry body that validates they meet some level of criteria. Same thing with an architect. You can't just call yourself an architect when you're doing buildings.
0: That's
1: That's That's right. I mean, there's liability behind it. You know- is the, is, is the, is, is the IT industry going to catch we up? Don't know. In
0: fact, we, um, you know, you, we, we can talk a little later about the project we're working on for IT revolution, yeah. but um, you know, I've been doing now seven or eight years in one year, it was sort of a false start, but we tried to work on a paper. So we write like 40, 50 people meet uh, virtually over the last couple of years, but, but um, hopefully maybe next year we'll all get back to going to Portland I think Gene's wife calls it Gene's pajama party. He gets some of the smartest people in the industry to come for two or three days to work on hard problems. But um we tried to work on a project about the ethos of software. Like, because you're right, like there's an ethos, like a pilot has um, you know, sort of there's a certification, there's um there's sort of an ethos, there's a commitment, you know, like a doctor is the Hippocratic Oath, like there's there's this sort of if you look at almost every industry you know a pilot or even a police officer there's sort of a there's a certification there's a you know there's a sort of an ethos of like like the pilot's is that like he controls hundreds of lives in 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 his or her hands or the doctor you know um you know the hippocratic oath and even the even the police officer has an ethos of like you know you're handed a badge and a gun like you know and we have nothing like that in our industry to your point so
1: i'm going to say this and i say this because that's how i started out but I, I think and this is not a criticism but like it's the difference between mechanics like i'll use the analogy car mechanics mm-hmm. and like a true engineer somebody is a, is a pe it's almost like it's interesting how like our industry is full of frankly mechanics we call them we'll say it's an angular engineer or a java engineer really those are just tools those frameworks oh, yeah. are just tools no different than like a ford mechanic yeah. or a chevy mechanic and um yeah, it is, it's, it's, as we ask, maybe that's a question. Like, when I look at we look at supply chain, we talk about building so a bit more rigor in the industry. Is that a way we should be going? Like, now we're starting to bring in these concepts and, like, think about the we are truly now getting to where software can be a a um, exploits and software are now affecting your life. You think about those oaths. A lot of those oaths are predicated on protecting the individual they're serving. Now we, yeah. we're looking at this to where. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, and, like, and again, I think you'd agree with this like, as, as we're talking this through, right? Like, again, I think what's going on with, um, you know, Linux Foundation, the SBOM, the, the executive order, all those things are great because something is better than nothing. But the, um, the thing that um, the thing that I think, you know, the, the, like possibly, you know, and we've talked about, we'll talk about automated governance a little bit and where we think there's sort of party SBOM is missing a good portion of the point. But then maybe the meta meta point is, you know, instead of sort of trying to dive into like, how do we fix continuous delivery? How about we fix the industry of how we think about, you know, like again, you know, an ethos for uh, software, but um, I'm going to dive into, um, you know, when I first came on Red Hat, I'd been working with, you know, the, I've been very excited and still excited about this concept of DevOps automated governance. And, you know, we'll talk a little about it in. You know, and I saw a lot of things going on in, um, in 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 Red Hat, but you know, but nothing seemed to sort of click. And then I was told to sort of, you know, go talk to this guy Bill. He's done some really cool stuff with the government. And I saw what you were doing. I was like, oh this is exactly what I think automated governance or DevOps automated governance needs. You want to talk a little about what you did with this? So I guess it's called Dead Sword, or I don't know what's the the proper yeah.
1: So we built that. So there is a bit of a market problem and our market opportunity with Red Hat. You have the, the DoD is a 2019 November ish. The United States, the Department of Defense, uh, released this thing called the DoD Enterprise DevSecOps Reference Design, and I'm pretty sure if you read through the references, John. Your name's in there three or four times. Because what they did is they took a lot of the top thought leadership of the industry, whether it's books, publications, and they compiled it into this sort of 100 page document that was meant to be given to any DOD organization or agency or department saying, okay, now I have to go look. Huh? Now I have to go look. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've referenced the DevOps handbook there a couple of times. Oh, yeah, i yeah, have to yeah. go back in the pages, cool. right. but they're going through and they're, and they're referencing this and what they did. And what I thought, what I liked about it was it's an amalgamation of everything that, you know, that, that everybody should understand and know. Um, one thing that may be, I don't think is unique to the, to the department of defense. I just think in non-digital native companies, I'll just say the traditional IT companies. I mean, their culture is such that nobody's, I don't want to say nobody's continuously learning, but continuous learning isn't a, a normal course of what, how those, right. uh, those organizations operate. Um, they've, they've been part of these organizations. It's just not there. And that's what by Google, Facebook, Netflix, like that's their differentiating cultural value there. But what it is, they brought this in together and it was an easy way for people to get up to speed to say, okay, here's what sort of modern software um, delivery looks like. And then now looking at that, the biggest thing is it described, it described sort of what an in-state could look like, but it didn't give anything really, um, fungible, um, to the organization such as, okay, there's always tools out there and there's approaches and processes. So that's cool. I sort of have a 40 lane highway. Now I know where my left and right bounds are, but like, which lane do I pick? And so there's a lot of, I can compare it to a coloring book. Like it was a coloring book, but it still needs the mediums and colors. And so what we decided to do when we created a, an upstream was we focused on where a lot of people don't focus. And I, I would argue, don't focus in software delivery is on the business architecture, the business process, the value stream. Like nobody said, nobody talks about the value stream besides before anybody, before Nick uh, published project to product, I don't remember too many people, but I take that back. I, I, I do remember uh, listening to beyond the Phoenix project, which by the way, we could talk about that whole, like my infatuation, all that. And But beyond the Phoenix project where you talk about the value stream and actually some of the books out there, but like nobody's talk, nobody thinks of it from a term of a value stream. So what we did is said, okay, what's the business architect? What's the value stream? Cause that's what people miss. What do you need to do to properly deliver software? And that's not just build unit test, Go to an artifact repository and go to production. There's a lot of things in there. What are the validations? And it's, and it's where we overlapped with the concept of the automated governance because those are the things. Those are the what people don't pay attention to because they focus on the developer experience. Hint just developer, not the development, which is the whole aspect in the value chain of going from idea to production that's more than just the developer. And so as we started doing this, we built out Plygos, which, which is a community and upstream and a tool that sort of enforces this. It allows you to think workflow first and business architecture and value stream first. And then codify it in a way that it's structured for the organization. So you provide the concepts of paved and golden paths, and like like Netflix has on a paved path. And so it gets down to some of the concept. Of the operation management, it's variability. When you have different tools, you have different approaches. You introduce variability. When you have variability in your system, you increase risk. And people want to understand why they're getting, you know, why they're getting, um, why they're getting owned by adversaries on a daily, if not weekly, on a weekly, if not daily basis. And you start looking at the variability and how you do your software. And I think this is a lot of where we aligned on the automated governance because it was there as like, yeah. okay, so how do you start to identify and then in, in, in reinforce those value streams? But um, yeah, that's where, that's where you and I got, that got hooked up and we started doing some thing. hackathons.
0: Yeah, it was Plagos that, um, you know, so that was, you know, I think it's gone through a couple of name changes, but Plagos, the thing I I, I saw the immediate value in, you know, in sort of my description of it was it had, uh, um, An opinionated interface, but a non-opinionated implementation, which was perfect for the automated governance thing. Like, in other words, like there's some structure to how you would have to do this to create different workflows, you know, uh, but that's a small price to pay but how you wanted to implement either, you know, um, you know, Jenkins or Bamboo or, um, you know, whatever sort of, you know, Sonar type or, or, uh, or, uh, you know, whatever, uh, Sonar Cube or Sonar, whatever. (laughs) Um, The, um, you know, it didn't have an opinion about that. It it allowed you to, and I I thought, wow, wow." you know, and and it had the infrastructure of things, you know, so, you know, they sort of get into a little bit of the automated governance. The idea was, you know, back in 2017, Topo Power, right, this, you know, brilliant blog article about how um, Capital One had done their pipelines and they talked about Gates, you know, and then this idea of like there were these, you know, if you could prove as a developer that you could evidence these type of things and Gates and in conversations, he was going to Gene's uh, sort of forum paper thing and we got to know each other. And I was like, wouldn't that like be a great place to put evidence, you know, attestations so we in in you know I think it was 2019 we wrote a paper, you know DevOps automated governance about this sort of attestational data, uh, but it was it was very loose like you know um, you know sort of some of the guys at PNC John Reszutowski they went out and started building this their own, but there was no sort of handoff to somebody like how do I start well you're going to have to write a webhook architecture you're going to have to sort of write something that captures these sort of webhooks and then go to attestation data store. And to me, Pligos not only solved the um, the sort of interface structure, but you'd even tell me about things like like one of the things that you might do for evidence is like if you did um, uh, a scan or even sort of the build logs, you could tar them and then sha them and then turn that into a digitally signed evidence. And, yeah. and, and Pligos would like have a directory structure for those things because so those were requirements as part of the government. So all those things like that somebody'd have to build themselves before they even got into the automated governance. Like it seemed to, to me like that's I, you know I sort of fell in love with Plagos because of that.
1: That's also yeah, exactly what you talked about. It's it's treating everything you know it's it's giving those things first class citizen capabilities, and that's you, know, you think about the development life cycle itself. It's like that is part of the cycle, so give it a first class capability.
0: So so that you know I I was thinking about this just now as you were talking like it's a good opportunity so. Um, You know, when, when we first, first wrote the paper, um, you know, so Google had introduced an open source project called Graphius, which was actually designed for attestational data or something they used internally, although it it was very purposeful for the way Google wanted to use it. And it was really only a reference architecture was very small lines of code. And, Mm -hmm. and uh, I know on a couple of projects, we tried to sort of get that working and nothing against the people who support that project. It's just, for what we wanted to do is mass scales for delivery and creating attestations for like so every type of thing like did somebody do a pairing on a pull request? What was the evidence of the build? What was the evidence? Um, it, it just didn't scale. And then um, in parallel, another project at Red Hat, and again to Red Hat's credit, like we built a lot of open source tools. Right, um, a project called Sigstore started, and uh, you know me and you sort of looked at it. You went deeper into the technical side, but. Tell me about Sigstore and why it works, and what what opportunities are for like this idea of digitally signed evidence or attestations for audit.
1: Yeah, the what I liked about Sigstore because Sigstore has itself as a sort of a a, a a it's an open PKI if you want to call it that, um, but it's based upon the same concepts that that, that um, Let's Encrypts and and Certificate Transparency is based upon. But one other component it had was something called a recore, which is I think Greek for record which is, of course, it's a Merkle tree structure. So what you can start to do is store your store signed, um, cryptographically signed with keys from the, the, the SIG store PKI inside the structure and you can cryptographically validate that what's been signed is it's tamper evident. And so first off, you have two things is first with the six store product because it's certificate transparency. And so I'll explain that for a second. Um, Like let's encrypt. I can go request a private public key pair. I'll get my key pair back, but then the public key is posted for everybody to see. So it's sort of a line of defense to where if I, if something was signed with my private key or one was issued to me and it was signed, but I didn't actually request it. Now I know I've been, for some reason, somebody got a hold of my identity and it's tying everything back to an identity, um, which is, which is key. And then six store itself, I believe it used to be 20 minutes. I believe it still is 20 minutes. Like the key pairs are only valid for 20 minutes. So the idea is not to give these long lived key pairs. It's just to give long enough, but you also now have that history. We can go back and see, okay, here's what the public key was signed with. Who is it issued to? And you could track things back to an identity, which is you know, very important if you in a zero trust concept. And then you have the, the Recore. So the things I like can inside the records of what I signed can be stored in there. And what I like about Recore and what we found good, which was different from a little bit different than Graphius, was that we took the evidence. So say a um, the outputs, we would if we didn't get an output from something like GitHub or GitLab or, or Sonar Cube, we could create an output automatically, and then we would hash it and sign it and then that we, we create a record of that with the, the the private key the private key we sign there we create a record of it inside of ReCore, and then we take just that, that 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 tar that tar bundle and just that little zip file and stick it somewhere where it doesn't matter. And what happened is we didn't have to figure out how do we protect and keep things from being tampered with, because now we have something that's tamper evident. And I think that's the big key when people try like, okay, we gotta figure out how to protect this from being tampered with. It's like, okay, if you tamper with it, what's the impact for our business? Frankly, none. But at that point in time, we wanna know that we can't trust whatever that body of evidence that's is right. anymore. And so then we have to do some other procedure. And so that's where the ReCore and SigStore came in. They have two other things, one called FullCO and Cosign, and there's two of their components. FullCO, I think, is the open um, root cert, and then Cosign is for signing um, containers based on the OCI image. But it's sort of that ecosystem of being able to create transparency. And it's like you talk about, it's like sort of doing blockchain without doing blockchain. Yeah,
0: that was the thing. Because, I mean, originally the original conversation I had had with, you know, the group of people that were originally sort of starting, this, like, what can we do with this evidence? You know, like, let's do blockchain. And then we found that like a number of problems with blockchain in the enterprise, which was, you know, it usually got some group within social financial, like who's doing blockchain, you know, that's ours. You know, next thing you, you can't, you weren't. But second, it was more of a hammer, you know, to sort or a sledgehammer to sort of, you know, swat a fly. Right. And, yeah. and then it, you know, the thing I liked about, um, about uh, ReCore and you know sort of uh, six star ReCore, which is the, the Merkle tree, which is really sort of a very sort of uh, an easier implementation of what blockchain does, because the Merkle tree itself is an immutable structure. So instead of having a blockchain, and correct me if I'm like totally off, but the blockchain is like this sort of list of digital signatures that's in sort of that can't be broken. Well, if you had all those digital signatures in some Merkle tree, it's the same thing. If anything in that sort of Merkle tree is broken, the whole thing's broken, and it's not, you know, it, it's not trustworthy.
1: Exactly, it's, it's open trust. Like if you think about sort of like what blockchain is. At the end of the day, it's a distributed ledger. Exactly. This is you know something like six store. It's not distributed. Like blockchain depends upon having community participants to take on the computing and and and, and, and um, supporting of the, the actual the system. Holy speaking, six doesn't, but it, it provides that same transparency capability, it provides transparency and cryptographic validation of that transparency. And so like, and I think that that's key for any organizations who are looking at doing this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, blockchain has a lot of fun things to play with, but if you, if you do, but if you set up your own blockchain, but you don't have any other community participants besides your own server, is it really blockchain? Right. Um, but yeah, so it is, it,
0: so we, you know, we started, um, you know, one of the things I love about, you know, sort of your, um, you know, your, your enthusiasm, um, you know, is that sort of, I feel like I lit a fire under you on this automated governance, you know, like a, you had been doing the, sort of the Dead Sword stuff, which was really good. And it was sort of almost everything that I, you know, and I came in and started telling you about, let me tell you about what we've been trying to do. And, um, you know, and, and it seems like now you've become a really good, you know, strong evangelist for this DevOps automated governance. Or we're, I guess we're, you know, the other thing people have told us sometimes is that, you know, when you use that phrase automated governance, traditional security people think, you know, of, you know, sort of older products where, you know, sometimes we refer to modern governance. But you know, give us a little quick overview of what your thoughts are about this sort of modern governance or automated governance, well, DevOps automated governance.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, I go back. My, my thoughts is like the IT club I talked about earlier, that was always the rhetorical thing. Well, it's not secure and it's not compliant. Well, tell me what a secure and compliant mean. And of course, nobody can ever tell you. Mm. And so it's always implicit. I go to two different people, I get two different answers. So at the end of the day, if people didn't want to deal with what I was building, it was always insecure and non-compliant, but you couldn't tell me how to become secure and compliant. Right. So That's why I like the concept of modern governance. And like when you and I started talking, it was, and I I, I don't want to talk about shadow IT, but at the end of the day, like there's people out there who are great, I'll call them the great mechanics that don't really have the engineering backgrounds, the meat and potatoes people that, that have just enough technical knowledge to build some valuable piece of software for an organization but the biggest hurdle to move it through is security compliance. That's what I like about automated modern governance and moving from implicit to explicit governance. They themselves may not know what's going on. I look at it sort of like middleware for a process. Like if you think about it, you have like middleware on a value chain, that's sort of how I look at automated governance. They may not know, or nor should they need to have that skill at that point in time. They may learn over time, but they need the feedback. If it's non compliant, where is it at? So then they can learn how to make it compliant, right? Or they can understand that. And that's what I love about the automated governance as we talk about. You know, flow feedback and continuous improvement from the DevOps handbook. Like, it's feedback. That's the feedback that's stopping a lot of stuff. And like in the public sector, there's this concept of, um, of authority to operate. And to attain authority to operate could be months, sometimes years on different right. platforms. And like. How does that help you when you're trying to, whether it's defense or whatever, it's not like, and, and why is it taking so many years? It's just simply the feedback cycle and the implicit nature of it. So that's why it does like, if, if you could be explicit, you could shorten the feedback cycles, then you could do, of course, with the core concept of agility is to get to market quicker, but that's not the thing. And I think that's where a lot of people miss when they talk about agility is just getting somewhere. It's also the continuous maintenance and support of it over time. Like software lives amongst most, a lot of people over a long period of time nowadays. And so, like, when you think about modern governance and automated governance, it's now, okay constantly checking, am I still compliant? Am I still doing the things I need to do to ensure that, like, even if you aren't making changes to the pieces of software, it's not become a security vector or a compliance vector anymore. Um, it's just not, and then that needs to be fixed. And that's why I liked about it. Cause like from my background to sort of that meat and potatoes, just like wanting just to write software, even though it's probably the most horribly written stuff. If I went back and looked at what I wrote, I would probably cringe. But at the end of the day, like I delivered value to thousands of people, across large swaths of organizations that did billions of dollars of business. Mm-hmm. And so like that right there, I think is the epitome. And I look at modern governance and automated governance. That's the reason why when you and I was first talking, I gravitated towards it. Cause I realized if I ever had this stuff and people like me had this, then we can be empowered to really deliver and figure out how to build more value. And it that's why the, I like
0: it. it. It is the abstractions, right? In other words, you know, like I think that, you know, um, you know, the, 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 sort of the, the, the waste, if we go back to lean sort of the waste in how we deliver things with, you know, sort of risk and regulatory control and all that is, it's just the sort of the communication and non-agreement about what things mean, right. Because we have different people, um, you know, trying to collaborate on like, what is this particular uh, reg number of PSI DSS or, you know, something in NIST. what does it really mean? And, and so it's, it's it's really almost like the pre-DevOps days. It's a throw over the wall, you know, make sure you adhere to this, you know, and then they're like, okay, I'll try to do that. And like, you didn't do it, you know, and, and um, you know, in a perfect world, you know, which I think, you know, we both believe nothing's perfect, but like trying to get to a true north of a better way of like, could we, or, or I would say that you'd be like, imagine a world where risk developers and operations don't even know what SonarQube is. All they know is that there's a sort of a language at DSL yes. that has a contract basically that is, it was certified to get the accurate data and like, and just like we don't have to worry about like how we, do, you know, get our money at an ATM machine. We trust that there's, there's some mechanisms that move it to the, 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 the dispenser. Um, we get to that place and, um, and 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 really, then is the sort of transaction between risk, operations, development. Says, do we agree that there's a trusted source of this information, and do we agree that this particular set of, you know, sort of standards or, uh, you know, YAML code or whatever, will basically get us as close as we can to you know that, and and then we sort of remove all that nonsense. I mean, you you look at, you know, when we talk to people, and they tell you about like long debates where a risk person and you know and, and a developer are are just sort of debating and argue about like like api transactions that come from Sonicube, <laughs> like we, we are uh toyota ono's worst
1: nightmare right so it, it's like, like you're sitting there you're talking it's i am getting back to like the Muda murrah and murray at the end of the day, right? So you get back to some of those concepts with Toy Everybody focuses on Muda in the seven types of ways. You know, what we're talking about here is really Mura, the lack of uniformity, exactly what you're talking sure. about. Now, Mura yeah. causes Muda right? At the end of the day, it causes the different types of wastes. But like, also like cognitive load, what you're talking about, there's like, why does an audit person have to understand the sonar cube X, Y, and Z? And you may have five different artifacts. Why does the developer have
0: to know it too? I don't I don't want my, in fact, except for the operations people who install it and make sure it operates and it, it actually creates the certifiable data. I don't even really want them to know the operational aspects
1: of it. And I would argue what you point out, that's Murray. So like, our software processes are full of Murray, which is just overworking people. We have this, we have this cognitive load, which they're having to work in areas. So exactly, like it's. I mean, I, I get down to like I always go back to ERP systems, and actually when I uh, when I listen to Beyond uh, the Goal, uh, I think the second chapter or the second part of Beyond the Goal, um, when Eliyahu D- uh, Goldrat talks about the uh, ERP systems and MRP and ERP systems, like, and that's when it really hit me it was like, as you think about like technology and some of this stuff, like with the ERP system was designed to like before, then everybody had their different modules. It's almost like, you know, whether it's finance, accounting, inventory management, whatever it was, it's similar to what we sure, have here sure. at Artifact Repository. But when you abstract that away and you just focus on like you talk about like what's critical to your job to executing, you know, the the value you do, it's not knowing SonarCube. cube. It's just knowing or it's not knowing, it's just knowing that, okay, did I what is what is our agreement on let's say code coverage or our agreement on maintainability or something? And then who cares who evaluated that? That's that's irrelevant. At well, that that's, time. that's you know,
0: like to it, to bring it all the way back to a Plygos, that's an you know, that is an implementation. You know, exact subject or you know piece, right? Like, cause doesn't matter. Like, like, like you know. And then again, I think that takes us all the way to like the whole idea of Linux. You know, sort of chain, command chain, right? Like, like I don't like, like I get this output, and like I can interchange the things I do. You know, maybe that's not the best example, but the point being, I can, I you know, like if it's Bamboo tomorrow, or it's Jenkins tomorrow, or it's whatever it's trusted and it delivers the information that we need at the abstraction level
1: exactly and yeah,
0: no. so what's um what's some sort of interesting oh, i guess the one other thing like I, I think i we talk a lot about this like again big fans of SBOM, but but this idea and we talked earlier about like sort of SBOM, maybe you know maybe there's a bigger picture like basically setting up practices for software engineers to mm-hmm. actually have like operations like we covered that, but I think the other thing about S bomb is like this idea: like if we just do S bombs, like everything's going to be great. And then, and this is why I think S bombs without automated governance, you know, S bombs will be good at maybe defining, you know, what dependencies, but not to the spec level. But like again, you know, everybody talks about the log log4j sort of fiasco, right? Like maybe you know zero days can be identified quicker. And yeah, I agree. But there's nothing in an S-bomb. And, again, you know, people would think they just sort of talk about an S-bomb just solves it all. Just, just S-bomb the hell out of it and, like, it'll be all fixed. And I, I don't know why sure everybody's saying that, but it does sure sound like they're saying that. Um, does an S-bomb tell you that somebody did um, a peer review on a pull request? Does an S-bomb tell you that there was, you know, a clean bill? Does the S-bomb tell you that you had, um, you know, a cyclomatic complexity less than a certain level does it tell you that you had eight, 75 or 80% test coverage right like and all those things right no it doesn't tell you any of that because that's not what's designed to so yes allowing me to understand a better software bill material at a high level is great but thinking that that by itself solves all the sort of the the cyber threat problems is i just think i you know i worry about the over rotation of that
1: I'm there with you. I think it's the overrotation. I mean, ever since some of the solar winds and things that are happening now that people are, I mean, the success and the prevalence of, uh, of being able to like, not having to actually, um, ex- uh, um actually attack you as an organization. All I got to do is just go downstream a little bit, inject <laughs> a couple pieces. It's of malicious scary. Code. Be scary. Yeah. To be able to and help. so it's, yeah, it's over rotation, but like that's why, I like you know, my big one thing i will be doing is like sit down, look at how like a proper supply chain works. When I say a proper supply chain, look at a, a physical good and look at how they secure and validate. And security, I will argue, is just a form of quality. I look at quality as the overriding that's term, the and se- yep. security and compliance are just forms of quality. And look at how quality is validated in a supply chain. And not specifically a value chain, just not within an organization, but within a true supply chain between disparate parties. And then look at also sensitive supply chains and how people manage sensitive supply chains. I think once you start looking at that and start saying, okay, how do we apply those concepts and those, what's we'll done in the physical exchange of goods with what's happening in the you know the exchange of bits and bytes, then SBOM will take on a different a different view because like to your point, like I'm seeing people trying to fit everything in S bomb. People are just looking at S as a bucket to dump everything about their piece of software. And that's not what it is. It was, if it, if it's trying to solve everything, then it is actually not a solution for anything.
0: Okay.
1: And so it's like, okay, let's use it for a bill of material. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's get down to, okay, what's it composed of, where did it come from? And the question is, should even where it came from be in the S bomb? Because we talk about specifications. If, I have something that's an M3 bull. Like there is actually different systems called supplier management systems that determine, you know, where you can get your components from. So you can create a graph, ultimately a graph of what it looks like of, of the reality of your state of, of an application, which is really where I think people are going. They're using the term SBOM to describe some graph that. That, that that has like a declaration of what your piece of software is.
0: No. And I think, um, you know, I think we got, that we're pointing in the right direction. And, you know, again, to give our industry credit, you know, the, the son types and the, um, J frogs and, you know, have been, you know, hovering around, you know, you know, giving us better Intel in, you know, I won't say at the level of a graph, although they would probably say it was, but we're, you know, we've got all the ingredients to get in the right direction. I just, I, I think sometimes in our industry we sort of over-rotate on we yeah. get this new hot idea and like that's going to solve everything and then we just sort of the, the oxygen for everything else is lost. Um, the one last piece that I wanted to sort of talk about is, um, you know, I talked about we wrote the DevOps automated governance uh, reference paper. that's about IT revolution in 2019. Uh, 2020, COVID, we just didn't do anything on it. We decided 21 we we sort of start back up what we originally thought was going to be a version two. Um, You know, I really enjoy working with Bill. I, you know, as you can already tell at this point, his thoughts are pretty awesome. So I invited him onto the project and, um, and we did such a good job. They decided um, uh, probably about the mid summer last year that like, they decided not to just put it out as a reference paper to turn it into a book. Um, And uh, so we, we decided to do it in sort of a novel format. Instead of just a reference, we, we, we thought about not as many people read the reference architecture that like, as I thought they would, because it was boring as hell. Right. <laughs> and so we decided, like, let's turn it into sort of a Phoenix project like style. So give us a little overview of Investments Unlimited and, you know, what what can we expect? And we'll see that next summer sometime, I guess.
1: Yeah. So, um Investments unlimited, it's a it's the story of the hurt and the identification of a way to people think that an organization thought they're doing DevOps. They thought they are doing these great things. And you know, the, and what they were doing was good, but it's also it brings into the reality is like DevOps can be narrowly scoped between just development operations and not other concerns. And then all of a sudden they're hit with a large with a um a large um MRA, uh, material uh, matter requiring attention. And so a large compliance issue. Sort of
0: like a failed audit, but, uh, you know, but very specific to financial, yeah, so...
1: Exactly. And so now with this, they've realized, holy cow, like there's a big part of our process that's missing. We've, we've missed the, these organizations and, you know, the, the story is going through and it's representative of also a lot of our co have, have, have experienced an industry sort of that I'll say the socio-technical approach, the socio-technical issues um, more on the cultural issues of what does it look like to include other people in the development process. So it's not just the technology, like there's things around attestations the technology, like how do you make that work? But a lot of it too, is like, how do you start to change the. Minds and how people operate because when you go to an automated governance or a modern governance approach, you are fundamentally asking people to change traditional ways of operating. You don't have, you know, you're taking security and compliance and taking them from just looking at pieces of paper and doing check boxes to people that are now thinking about, okay, like, what's a control we need to be considering? Like, yes, some people do that. But you've changed them from now just executing a process to how do we continually design and improve on our risk management process? What are the things we need to be thinking through? And so as as, as everything goes through through investments unlimited, it is that story of how it plays out. It's the trials, it's the tribulations, um, it's the you know we think we're doing good, and all of a sudden we get our legs caught back out under us because we did one thing good. But guess what? It's you realize it's more complex than just. Um, the one or two things we can do. So uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, 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 uh, I, I feel like, you know, the goal, and that, the goal of that book is as people read it uh, definitely wanted to ring true home like the Phoenix project did where, you know, somebody's be like, wow, how are you, you know, anybody in a financial institution? And it's not just for, you know, engineers um, and it folks, a lot of what we're riding towards is audit because the goal of this audit and governance, the goal of this book is to raise awareness, but also, Present a model for collaboration too, like the DevOps automated governance did that. So, how do you look at collaborating? Because I think that's probably where a lot of the industry stuck is people like, yeah, the automation sounds good, but like, how do we even get to automation? It's like the dead sword we talked about earlier. Right. There's a lot of things out there to say here's how you want to do it, but nobody's saying like specifically how do we take that first step. Yeah. And IUI is that our investments unlimited is sort of that that the, you know the whole goal is like can, this could this this is what your first steps could look like. This is. Literally a model of your company, you probably, as people read it, they'll, they'll they'll feel it. And then, okay, here's how this company now gets to automated governance.
0: Yeah. No, I think one of the things we talk about a lot, and I say you know one of our problems in our industry right now is we don't, and you know, both of you are big fans of sort of system thinking and complex systems is that. You know, it seems like the approach that we're taking in sort of DevSecOps is a very sort of reference architecture structure. You know, DevSecOps reference architectures where, you know, do you have this in the, in the pipeline? Do you have this in the pipeline? Do you have this in the pipeline? And all these sort of this is their own formats, their own DSLs, their own logs, and and what we're really doing is making the translation and conversation between risk and developers exponentially more complex. Right. Like, you know, where, you know, I, the, my common one that I hear a lot, which is, you know, the auditors want to understand what's the difference between the Sonicube log and this, you know, and, and Nexus log. And they like, well, you know, you don't understand. They sort of look like they tell you the same things, but they don't. Right. And, and like, like, again, we shouldn't be having those kind of conversations, you know, like, uh, you know, a, a developer or a developer calling operations to say, hey, can you explain the risk why the Nexus log doesn't match the Sonicube log? Oh, we'll it will never matter. You know, doesn't that's suppose Well, they're idiots. You know, like yeah, like we shouldn't be having those kind of conversations.
1: It's it's one of those things. It's unnecessary cognitive dissonance that creates cognitive overhead and oh, uh, cognitive unnecessary cognitive load. And like that's you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I'm I'm rereading the Fifth Discipline. I know it's going to be pretty heavy, but like it's, I think that's like you know, if people can chug through, it, that's a good book. Because to your point, you point out systems thinking is you know, we use the word engineering and architect, but there's not. It, that lacks a lot. And as you point out, like we're not here to, I'm not necessarily bashing the industry. I think sometimes I, I don't want to say as the in- industry is over rotating. Sometimes I have a tendency to over rotate. And some of my, the way I say simply because I just see vendors, like all of a sudden, like S bombs popular. So let's put yeah, yeah, wow, wow. S what we do now. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, hold on a second. Like there's there there there's um there's uh not that they do or don't have those capabilities some of them do but it's like all right let's let's um yeah, yeah. let's no, talk I, about I a, yeah.
0: the thing that's you know sort of like I you, know, you sort of take it with a grain of salt because it is what it is but it's amazing how many vendors after the Larkfoot J shell script or a uh, sort of module was exposed all explaining how they could have caught it. Nobody did. Yeah, nobody did. And like, but every vendor now talks about like that's their first page. Oh, you know, the larger day, like we have a solution that. Like, Bill, how do people find you if they want to sort of have more conversations with you?
1: Always LinkedIn. Hit me up on LinkedIn. You'll find Bill Bensing on LinkedIn. I do have a Twitter handle at Bill Bensing. But I I, I admit I'm trying to get better with my tweeting. But uh, LinkedIn is where I tend to yeah. LinkedIn is where all the
0: activity is these days. So yeah, me too. I. I used to tweet like a madman in these days I find I just have better conversations on LinkedIn, but I'll put all those up in the show notes and also uh, um, it's always a blast talking to you. I, I you know, I, I get to talk to Bill quite often as part of my job, which is sort of a treat. Uh, so, um, but anyway, uh, thanks Bill for, for
1: a great podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for the invite. Sure. Oh, sure. It was good. All right, man.